Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years, and have never lost my passion for comic books. Something I try to pass on to old and new readers. It's Friday, October 13th, 2023. This is episode 139 of the show. Sometimes I think that one day when I die, my tombstone should read, The Man Who Couldn't Say No. Today's show is taped today and edited down to get it out. But folks, there's nothing unlucky about this Friday the 13th. First, yes, it's another Kickstarter. And one when there's only about a week left. Usually I try to tape at the beginning of a campaign. However, this one's a little bit different. It's from Marvel artist and icon Sean Chen. I don't want to say too much about the project because I want you to hear what he has to say about the project. I will say that he's wrote it and does the art. And if you're a fan of Chen's work, be prepared to be blown away. This is a completely re-looking at his art. He's really put his heart and soul into this, and you can tell. It was working in the show ASAP. Now, I do need to give a shout-out to a fellow podcaster, Ross Aiken from Stop, Let's Team Up. He is one of my favorite guests, and I bring him on the show more than any other guest, by far. The other day, he was a show where I was the guest, and we talked about Marvel 2-in-1, 50, where The Thing teams up with The Thing. It's a great show. Please check out the show. I always enjoy going on the show. You'll find a link to Ross's show and the show notes along with Sean's Kickstarter. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for checking it out. I hope you continue to sample the show. Look at the show notes again. Follow the podcast on social media. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. I want this podcast to continue to grow. And as I said so many times, to introduce fans to a different way of discovering and reading fantastic comic books. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to the podcast. I am pleased to bring onto the show Sean Chen, who is involved in a Kickstarter program. Now, as a first-time guest, Sean, I always like to ask a person's comic book origin story, how they got the comic books and made them a lifelong fan. So I want to hear your origin story. <laughs> Uh, okay. I um, actually didn't read comics growing up. Really? I think I would have loved them, but my parents really didn't let them allow them in the house. Uh, but I did love superheroes uh, from watching them on television, like the cartoons. And I also, we get um, the Washington Post, which was allowed in the house. But And I think um, daily you can get the Spider-Man strip there. And that was my favorite. And on Sunday, you get the color version, the, the longer form one. Um, so that really... Um, started my love for the typical like male power fantasy that it's superheroes. Um, and then I also like to draw and I'm very classically trained as an artist. And my favorite subject to draw was the superhero stuff. Um, but my first real comic that I read and that I really, that really blew my mind and made me want to be in the industry was uh, heavy metal magazine. Cause strangely enough, comic books at that time were really in the specialty stores, the, the comic book stores. And then I just didn't go there because um it really wasn't in my, my neighborhood route that, uh, that there's be a comic book store, but there was the mall and the mall had the borders books that had the magazine rack that had, you know, up in the right hand corner, there's the, the Playboy magazine or penthouse with a lucite cover. So you can't see the, the cover of it right next to it was a uh, heavy metal magazine. And when I looked at that, 
that really blew my mind, uh, particularly because it was um, uh, a European style. It was more what I was used to being classically trained. Uh, the American superhero style, the dynamic Jack Kirby look, is something that's a little bit unusual if you don't if you didn't grow up with it. Um, so I, I like um, Milo Manera and Mobius and all those European artists, and that made me want to draw comics. So I practiced a lot and got a portfolio together um, and brought it to oh, a lot of different conventions, uh, finally culminating at the San Diego Comic-Con. And so I hung out quite a bit with David Mazzucchelli when I met him at a, at a show, a local show. And then he kind of took me under his wing and taught me all about how comics are done in the great medium of American superhero comics. And, and uh, that was a great education. And then um, I showed a portfolio at San Diego Comic-Con to Valiant Comics. Yeah. So yeah. what made you decide growing up that I want to be a comic book artist? Was there some kind of defining moment or is there something that you always thought growing up that I... I'm an artist and that's what I want to do in growing up. Is that, how was it for you? Uh, I like to draw a lot. And I think the superhero world was, uh, it would seem like the most fun thing to draw. So as a classically trained artist, you draw like a lot of still lives and landscapes, but I mean, that really pales in comparison, especially to a kid, uh, to drawing like Superman or like Spider-Man uh, and then telling a, a cool story with it using a narrative. So that was really the reason why I chose comics more than any other uh, form of art. Now, I know who you are, but you know that the comic book fans cycle every few years. So for anybody that's new, who like, who the heck is Sean Chen? Tell them a little bit about yourself, what you've done, and that type of thing before you go into your Kickstarter. Okay, Please. so I started out at Valiant Comics, and my first comic there was Rye in the Future Force number nine. And that one sold... Uh, because of market forces at the time, uh, about 900,000 copies. Um, so that was, that was impressive like my... at that time. That was, yeah. it, that's big for now. I mean, a lot of companies, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but a lot of companies now would like kill to have that type of numbers all the time. It showed you how different the yeah. industry is between now and then. But please, yeah, go I on. should make it clear that it's not because of my special ability. Uh, it really was the company I was at and the book I was on at the time I was there. It didn't really matter who they put in that place. They would have done well just because uh, we were in the midst of a bubble in comics where um, sales were just typically through the roof on on new comics, especially for a hot company. And, and Valiant at that time was the hot company. So it was just really luck and timing that that I was there for that. And then, you know, unfortunately, it's been downhill ever since, you know, because we don't have anywhere near those sales. Um, so you know, but, I, I did my time there. But, you know, it almost feels like we're actually almost in a golden age of comic books again because there's so many things that are out there and so many types of comic books and so many things. We may not have the sales and the volume of them, but there's so many fantastic things that are coming out that weren't possible a few years ago. For example, your Evermind Kickstarter that you've got going on right now. And um, tell the fans a little bit about the project, who you teamed up with, and why you're doing this project. Okay, so I think every artist, um, when you are moving up, you, you kind of go through Marvel and DC, and that's a lot of times considered the pinnacle of your career, like how far you can possibly go. Um, but there's really one step more, which is to uh, make your own characters and make your own stories and have your own intellectual properties. So you're drawing actually your own characters rather than characters that belong to Marvel and DC. Um, so uh, there is a publisher from 24-7 Comics approached me to see whether I had any story ideas. 
Um, so I pitched them uh, an idea that I've kind of had for a while that uh, based on this drawing of, of a robot girl and a robot gorilla, and he thought it would really make an intriguing story. So we kind of like workshopped that idea um, over several months and then finally started, started it going. And I think it's when we got to about issue two or two and a half. Uh, well, actually, when I first started out, I asked him who he thought the main character should look like because we were kind of developing it together. And he said, like, can, can you draw Daniel Wu as the main character? And I was like, sure, you know, why not? Um, so that, I mean, that was how that decision just happened very quickly. So around issue two and a half, he says that, um, well, I know Daniel Wu's people. I would like to actually show them this and see whether he'd want to get involved. And, and that was kind of a long shot, but um, he showed it to him and, and then he liked the story, he liked the character, and then he was on board. So he was uh, on board as a co-creator. And uh, so what he brings to the table is that uh, actors are intrinsically uh, attuned to character and uh, motivation because that's how they uh, develop a nuanced performance for their TV show or movie. So he really brought a lot of uh, character to a, a sci-fi story. And, you know, sci-fis can often be very plot-based, very action-based. So he brought the uh, the character element, and together, it I think it's it's a great mix, and it really works well. It is a great, fantastically unique comic book. Um, so briefly, what is two four seven comic books all about? I've never heard of them. Why haven't other fans heard about them? Okay, so they're very new. Um, actually, this is uh, their first book. Okay. Um, so they do have a roster of about 10 different um, books kind of in the pipeline that will come out eventually over the next few years. Um, so yeah, they're very new and they're very uh, creator focused. So uh, I think there's a lot of talk now about how um, artists and writers are just wanting to be treated fairly and, and then have a, make a living wage. So this company like puts that in the forefront and also like really seeks to mine the creativity of anyone who has a great story idea, whether it comes from an artist or a writer or, or whatever. And then, um, so they're just basically a new publishing company that's that's very creator focused. Is this your first attempt at writing something or have you done writing before? Okay, that's interesting because uh, before uh, Evermind, I did write one other thing. However, uh, I've been an artist for um, a couple of decades and I never really knew whether I could write. I had a tremendous amount of interest in writing, but, um, I didn't really know whether I could uh, could do it. So uh, that's about when I discovered Instagram. So I did put together a comic book and just put it out on Instagram for free, like every couple of weeks, maybe five more uh, pages. And it was just an experiment. And uh, I didn't expect it to go that well uh, because the subject matter was very offbeat. And I would only continue it if the comments section were very positive. If they, if they wanted to see more, I would draw more. And it seems like the more I did, it would seem to build up momentum. Uh, eventually, till I got about 60 pages done and the story concluded. Uh, and after that, uh, people were very like very satisfied and emotionally satisfied with the story, and they liked it. And then it got published in two places after that. It, one of them uh, was Heavy Metal Magazine, who colored it and published it in, in one, one of their publications. And then the other one was this uh, company called uh, Next Chapter Post, also published it. So that, to me, was really strange because as an artist, I didn't really know whether I would have the chops to write, but it seems like it went over very well. And that kind of helped inform my decision to, to kind of strike off on my own as a writer. So what type of fan would enjoy backing your Evermind Kickstarter? Okay. Well, if you read comics, um, uh, 
this is very different than a lot of comics out there because uh, first of all, instead of superheroes, it's sort of it's sci-fi uh, based uh, in the near future. And uh, I think a lot of comics, especially from Marvel or DC, uh, they kind of churn them out because it's a, it's a product that comes out every month. And um, basically uh, the writer would spend like maybe only like a couple of weeks determining what each issue is going to be about. Uh, with this one, it takes a very like hardcore uh, story approach um, using the, the techniques and principles of, of um, traditional storytelling. And it's uh, put together over a period of a, a year and a half. So it's very highly concentrated, written more like a screenplay. So you get a lot of uh, good stories with like a lot of big ideas. So there's a few, maybe three, four uh, really big creative ideas in it that are kind of novel and you haven't really seen them before. And then when the story um, moves forward, it kind of develops a momentum where when you read the first one, you kind of have to read them all. So it has that type of, um, you know, it's not just there to, to be on the shelf for a month. It really is like a graphic novel and it's, it's written very carefully. And uh, yeah, I think people will really get into it to give it a try. As a creator, as an artist, were you trying to do something differently than you've done over the years in some of your other comic book projects? I mean, was there a certain creative challenge that you wanted to do with your art and stuff? Uh, yeah, well, with the art, uh, I was always very highly technical with my art. So this is why I ended up on Iron Man, all the, the high tech stuff and the armor. And that seemed to be the wheelhouse where I was like, most known for. So this is a very like robot centric book, it's a very tech future centric book. Uh, so there is that. And then um, since this is my, you know, my baby, I you tend to do your best work on it. <laughs> I spent a little bit more time in the artwork and uh, I drew it very carefully and, and very methodically. So there is a lot of uh, the, the best work that I've done is in this. And then on top of that, uh, the story that I wrote, that, that knowing where the story is going, it helps inform the artwork. Whereas a lot of times when I'm working on a Marvel book, I have no idea where the writer's going. So you really can't take a bold swing with your um, your artwork and your environment because you never really know whether you're going to cause some problems down the line. Uh, so this the synergy between being the writer and the artist really helps the, the product in the end. You know, I was going over this. I was comparing some of your other art and any Sean Chen fans out there, and I'm sure there's plenty of them. We'll see. You're right. This art is different. You can see that you put your heart and, and soul into making it somewhat unique and different because it is your project. It is your baby. It's a very impressive uh, comic book. It's why, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on here. So <laughs> thank you. I'm, I know there seems to be a lot of um, Asian American themes running into it with some of the characters and you are an Asian American. How do you feel about Asian American representation, both as creators and as, as characters in the comic books? I, I, I found it interesting that over the years, um, Amadeus Choi, I think that's the name they pronounce it, has slowly risen up in the Marvel ranks to be a little more prominent. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. But it's like, where's the other one? Um, not to go too much off kilt, but... You know, I did this, a bunch of shows um, in August about centering uh, around black creators. And some of these creators are like, when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of black creators. Or when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of black superheroes. And when you go into the 70s, a lot of them black superheroes seemed like token superheroes and not real superheroes. So as an Asian American, how do you feel about that type of thing in the comic books today and over time? Uh, well, my approach is that you know, I, I created this story and um, the the characters at first were kind of just basically blank templates and um, their character were, were only like 
only in the broad stroke phase. Um, that's when I asked Carl Choi, my publisher, like who he would like to cast as the uh, main character. Uh, and then he picked a person who was Asian. And, and that's as far as the, my, um, you know, my intent in putting an Asian person in. I think one of the best things you can do is that when you have characters like a, a hero or a villain, that they can be any race. Um, and this is kind of testament to that because I didn't have any particular person in mind. He mentioned someone who was Asian and then boom, he was Asian. So I really didn't really mean anything with it. I mean, the man, the whole family in the story are, are um, scientists. So, you know, they're just you know, very good at science, which is, which is a trope, um, but that was never intentional. And I think one of the best things you can do with uh, heroes and the villain is to make them agnostic, like they can be any race because anyone can be very good or very bad. Uh, particularly with the the villains, uh, these days you have to be very careful how you cast that. <laughs> um, but for me, um, I could I just think that they could be any race, and then whatever happens happens. Uh, as far as being an Asian creator, uh, a lot of people say like there's that we're not that significantly represented in this industry, but that's not really true from an artist standpoint because uh, tons of of uh, comic artists are Asian, uh, um, and yeah, I'm not sure why that's very diverse. And then the writing part is, is not so much. There's very few Asian writers. And I think it, that could be attributed to the fact that, uh, you know, art and writing is subjective, but you can tell in, when a comic portfolio comes in, whether a person can draw or not. Um, there is a minimum level of ability where you have to achieve to make a viable comic. And then, um, so you just can't hire your, your white friend or cousin if you wanted to, you have to go, to the person who can do the job there's there's so few of them so you have to kind of go all over the world to find the best artists wherever they are i mean so many of them uh like we can you have to go sometimes to the philippines because whoever can do the job uh well that that's who you hire so i'm not sure what that says about writing and that maybe writing is also subjective maybe the standards of writing are lower in comics but you can hire just about anyone to write a comic if they do their hard work of just studying the character and then doing their best. Um, and I guess that's the reason why that tends not to diversify as much. So uh, in this, you know, I'm an artist, so I wanted to write my own story. I'm Asian, so I am now an Asian comic book writer. And um, no one really gave me that opportunity. It's one of those things I have to kind of create and put it out there and see whether people will accept me as a writer. I mean, if they like the story, then then good. You know, you know personally, I respect everybody for who and what they are. It makes no difference whether they're asian black and female i want to read fantastic comic books that look great and you've done a fantastic job on this and i'm really impressed with it i really like it and i'm so glad that it's turning out the way you want it i'm curious though are you a movie buff <laughs> i i am actually that's where most of my love for story comes from i mean i'm, I'm a lot like a lot of people i don't read as much as i i could uh, mostly because i spend so much time drawing but um i do love movies they're, they're just a lot easier just to, to, to get into and especially like at the end how the story makes you feel if it's written very well uh it could you know it can really bring you to tears uh and I, I thought that that the power to be able to do that and to to craft a story like that that makes me feel the same way or would make other people feel the same way i thought was an incredible power so i would study movies relentlessly um but i think what you're probably con uh, thinking about is the cover to issue two where they're there's a, a robot that's kind of in a Marilyn Monroe pose. That really is just 
because that um that kind of trope exists out there like that um Marilyn Monroe poses is, I've never seen that movie but it, oh, you've it never kind of goes... seen that movie that's <laughs> you really need to take your time to see that movie that that is one of the good movies have you ever seen um some like it hot that movie I have not <laughs> oh you've got to you've got to go get a if we're growing up pan you've got to go see um some like it's hot it's one of the best Marilyn Monroe movies out there. It's a, it's one of the best comedies of all time. Sean, you got that. Oh, your wow. home, that's your homework assignment. No, and okay. also your your because your robot also reminds me of the Metropolis um movies from the early nineteen twenties. Also, oh, okay. I just saw some things. Just wonder how that was filtering through. Um, <laughs> so you were also at the New York convention this, this week, correct? You're at the New York. Yes, I am. Yeah. So how's the convention scene changed for you over the years? Because you've been in you've been in this industry for quite a while now. So how's it changed? You know, because when I was reading back in the nineties, we had like Amazing Heroes and Wizard and the Comic Buyer Guy. There wasn't no internet. There wasn't no twenty four seven news feed. Because like a lot of people, one of the things I do, I go on to the comic book says, "Oh, what's the news? What's the news? What's the news?" And I'm instantly there. Back when you started, there wasn't anything like that, and even the fan base was different. So how's this convention scene changed differently for you as a creator? Uh, it, I've been through all different eras of, of conventions. So yeah, you're right. When the, in the beginning, uh, there were, since there were fewer of them, I think wizard put on a lot of them, those attracted a lot of people. Um, and that's kind of when I started out when comics were selling really well, um, going to a convention, it was a big deal. It was a, a lot of money to be made. And then I've been to some very lean times when a lot of conventions came on the scene and it was really hard to, to keep a convention afloat because, um, uh, I guess, interest in comics was kind of waning. Uh, and that was really sad because I remember going to a convention and just the number one fear is that this is most likely going to be another convention where I just sit the entire day and then no one comes by and um, the room is kind of empty and everyone's really sad and depressed. Uh, and then, you know, uh, flash forward a little bit, the cosplayers enter the scene and, you know, there was always cosplayer, but uh, now it's, it's really blown up. And, you know, I love it. A lot of artists, and creators don't like the cosplay just kind of entering in um, their industry. But Comic-Cons can be so many things. And um, just to see the aisles packed and the lines to get in, I think that's fantastic. It, I think it's very healthy. If it did uh, mean involving cosplayers, um, animation, manga, gaming, and movies, uh, just to be an all-around kind of like nerd convention or like a, a, a nerd parade that I think that's fine because it just brings a lot of people in and it, it creates an energy and people can go to a convention for any number of reasons. Uh, and, you know, the fact that they're healthy again, I think is fantastic. So that's one of the things I noticed is like uh, before there was very few cosplayers and now they're, they're everywhere. And then uh, manga is everywhere. And then the movies and, and TV and games have come in um, to kind of, prop the whole thing up and uh the comics has sort of been marginalized and they still call them comic cons but uh you know i'll, I'll take it in any way because i've seen the very lean times and, and that wasn't very fun so overall have you been surprised or pleased what was your comment or thoughts about doing this evermind kickstarter because it's only got a few more days left it's pretty much fully funded i mean how has been the reaction on your end i mean has have you been really pleased with how fans have been you know attached to it and have you got a lot of good word of mouth over it uh yeah absolutely and we are three times our our goal and this is my first kickstarter and my company's first kickstarter so there's a there's usually a big learning curve and then usually the first kickstarters are not as supportive as, as, as the later ones i'm not sure why that is but the more you do the more people trust you i guess 
and the more you build an audience. Um, so we are thrilled with with uh, how it all went over. And I think the biggest <coughs> challenge is uh, there is no um, track record of my writing out there. Like, I think people know what to expect of my artwork. So they'll say like, well, he has a name and, he, and I know his work. Um, but the, the story you can kind of expect a lot of times since the artist is writing his own story to be very suspect of it. Um, I think the story is the strongest selling point, but there's really nothing I can do because this is the first one. And then it's going to be a leap of faith. So I can just tell people like, you know, give it a shot because I think you'll like it. Oh, they will. Um, they definitely will. Uh, this is, you should be, you should be very pleased that you've reached this pinnacle in your career. And you've had, cause not all artists are writers, just like not all writers are artists. And you should right. be very, this is a fantastic project. It's really well-written. Well, I think fans of, you know, even if you're not into superhero, I think fans uh, would really enjoy this comic because not all comics today are superhero and people need to get out of that trope of it's just Marvel and DC and the big stuff. There's so many things out there and projects right. like this with your name attached to it. Oh, I've never read a science fiction comic book or time like this, but this is Sean Chen. Oh, this is great. Now that opens up windows for people to explore things outside of their comfort zone as far as comic books. And that's what another reason why I might bring you on the show because you're known for your Marvel stuff. And I think you only did like one big thing for DC Salvation Run. That was your big thing for DC. I don't know what your 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 beef is with DC, but that's okay. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, I, I want people just to to read comic books and explore things. Just don't it's not all about Superman and Batman, X-Men, Spider-Man. There's so many fantastic comic books out there. So when this Kickstarter gets done, where do you go from here? Do you have, what's your next project? Do you have anything else coming down the pike going on? Where does Evermind go? Um, it's been so much about, about <laughs> it's been so much about this book that I really haven't given much thought to what happens afterwards. So um, you know, I kind of write this like a screenplay, mostly because what I learned about writing is mostly from a lot of master classes and, and um, tutorials on writing screenplays. So I do have a, a conclusion to this, like a, like it would be a movie conclusion. However, the company I'm working for requests that I finish the story arc, but continue, leave the character arc open for more uh, episodes or issues. Um, so, I, uh, so it sounds like they're interested in, in doing more with it. Uh, I don't know if that would be me that's involved. And, and you know, I'm kind of looking at, um, what may come afterwards, but I still have the the second half of this book to finish up, and uh, really don't like to think too far ahead because uh, it's it's already a daunting task just finishing out this book. Before we wrap this, I have one quick more question: Is there a reason why you chose a gorilla for one of the main characters? Uh, I always like drawing them. I think when I um, see pictures of gorillas, as an artist, I try to see the shapes and the planes to to kind of build the drawing off structurally. Uh, it's very hard to do that in human beings, um, but some animals, particularly gorillas, can be reduced down to basic shapes very easily. And they look extremely cool when you focus on the, the planes that catch the light in certain ways. I just like the way they look. And apparently people like the way they look too, because um, there's a trope where um, gorillas and comics seem to go together. Oh, that's yeah. what I was mentioning, because back in the Silver Age, DC, um found out that whenever they put a gorilla on the cover or even used the, the color purple on the cover, <laughs> then comic books sold out like hotcakes to the point where they actually had the rationale. No, 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 you can't have a gorilla on the cover. This book, we got too many gorillas on the cover. <laughs> so I was just curious about that fact of, you know, of why you chose a gorilla. Yeah, it was at one time. And because folks, you don't understand, I don't get off there yet. 
But back a long time ago, there wasn't a direct market. Comic books went to your grocery stores and those types of things. And you waited months for sales figures to come in. It wasn't like you went to a comic shop where I want this, I'm going to order this, I'm going to order this. And, you know, it wasn't like that. It would be six to nine months before comic books came back. And you would know that this sold, but you wouldn't know why it was sold. You know, and that was one of the things with the gorillas. They would keep throwing these gorillas on the cover. They're like, it's sold, it's sold, it's sold. And they never knew that. Sean Chen, before we wrap this up, you get the last words. Any closing comments? Um, I, I really want people to give this book uh, a try because I, there's no way I can, um, there's no track record of my writing. So I can understand just being a little bit um, cautious about it. Um, but I want to say that, you know, if you know my artwork and, and if you like my artwork, I would say the artwork is not even the best thing uh, about it because I, I did take a real deep dive into writing. I wrote this with a lot of passion and there's a lot of energy uh, in the pages. And, and when you read it, it'll just kind of like crackle with this passion and energy. Um, so and the, the writing it is it's written in a way using um, story brain science that uh, really propels you along. And most people in the early beta reader testers that we did give this book to, um, they, they would binge read it, you know, like go from beginning to end, only really intending to read the first issue, but they had to read the rest. And then um, there's a cliffhanger and they want to see more. And that's really the best uh, compliment that I can get is that people were engaged with the story. So um, the story I just is fantastic. put that out yeah. there and <laughs> hope that, uh, that just trust me, give it a try, and then you'll get into it. Sean Chen, having an ever mind, uh, kickstarted going out for the next few days. Thanks for joining me with the show. It's been a very fascinating conversation. I will try to figure a way to get you back on the podcast. Good luck, and I hope to have you sometime soon. Great. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. So thank you very much for the platform. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, fantastic comic fan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.